Okay, y'all. This is for South Jersey, which is where I'm from. South Jersey. Okay, now that Bruce Springsteen will never speak to me again. Not that he ever did to begin with, but... Okay, here's the thing. I don't mean to be a bummer, but... This song is actually about a guy who comes home from the war and can't find a job and is really dejected. However, you gotta admit, it is one of the most kick-ass songs ever to watch 4th of July fireworks to, so... Without any further ado, let's whoop it up a little bit and shoot off some sparklers to celebrate Independence Day, but more importantly, the first ever Independence Day, 4th of July, Bankadelic Extravaganza Fireworks, whatever you want to call it. It's a free country. And on the podcast today... Not quite 13 stars, but we do have seven stars. That's right, seven of them. And they are going to grace us with their opinions, their personalities, and their perspectives. Here they are. Barry Kirby, the CRO of Union Credit. Lisa Goldshire, co-founder and chief strategy officer at ASA. Liz Flowers, head of client success at Lenders Cooperative. Stephen Baker, the CEO of Connective. Lee Long, Chief Experience Officer at HC3. David Benskin, the CEO of Wealth Access. And Paul Davis, Director of Marketing Intelligence at SRM. You know, if you're going to fight for your freedom, your fintech freedom, I can't think of better people to march onto the field of endeavor with. And so, here we go. We have our guests here, and while I didn't make any of them wear a white wig, for our icebreaker, we are going to ask each one of you who your favorite founding father is or founding mother. Let's not forget the women. And why. And for the first person Stepping up to the podium with the presidential seal of the United States, <laughs> we have Barry Kirby. And by the way, our listeners would love to hear a little bit about your company and what you do. So throw that in as well. Right on. Appreciate it, Luke. So this is Barry Kirby with Union Credit, co-founder with Dave Berger. We are an embedded marketplace, credit unions and local financial institutions that provides consumers additional loan opportunities from local institutions versus the large national lenders that are available to all consumers today. I'll get right into my founding father. I actually, Lou, I did my homework and did a little research on this one and tried to identify a founding father that I relate to the most, and that would be Thomas Jefferson. So fun facts for you guys is in today's money standards, Thomas Jefferson spent roughly $1,800 a day on groceries and wine because of his indulgence of partying and having guests at his home. 
So I really relate to that kind of guy. That's really the 4th of July special. Yeah, the question is how much of that was groceries and how much of that was wine? That's really the age-old question. And so we'll leave that to be determined by the audience. Lisa Goldshire, you're up. Hi, Lou. Thanks so much. Asa is a customer-facing app store that connects banks, fintechs, and account holders through an embedded fintech platform. Very happy to be here with you today. And I actually wanted to take this question in a slightly different direction, if that's okay, and talk about one of my favorite fintech founders instead. Go for it. Thank you. I really admire Laura Kornhauser. She's the co-founder and CEO of Stratify. And at Stratify, it's a platform that enables financial institutions to build precise underwriting and fraud modules, reducing risk and bias. And why this is so important to me is because it really helps the financial services industry accelerate financial inclusion. And Laura's got an extensive background with JP Morgan and other institutions, which really led her to develop this institution. So her understanding of the industry and then trying to solve this problem within financial services is something that is really inspirational to me, as well as her dedication to the mission, her willingness to support others in the industry. She's a wonderful role model, and I really love seeing women founders who are succeeding in what is really a traditionally male-dominated industry. I love it. I got to tell you, aside from the fact that when I set this up, I said founding father or founding mother, it's a very original way to answer the question. You are upholding your independence, if you will. (laughs) Thank you, Lou. Yes, always. (laughs) Liz Flowers. Hey, Lou. I'm Liz Flowers, and I'm here from Lenders Cooperative. We are a client-owned cooperative that represents a community of board banking banking institutions. We offer a best-in-class loan origination software as well as shared services, and we serve over 140 financial institutions. Great question about my favorite founding father, and I think that I'll go with Benjamin Franklin in the spirit of innovation and embracing failure as progress. I love that about him. Yeah, you know, the thing I love about Franklin is in the play musical 1776, he gives a very spirited defense for not the bald eagle as the symbol of the U.S., but the turkey. (laughs) That's right, he does. Stephen Baker, your turn. Yes, thank you, Lou. So I'm Stephen Baker, CEO of a brand new company in this space called Connective, but it is a company that is actually formed from three long-standing companies in the space, all around enablement and connectivity and efficiency. So those companies were formerly CFM, which is all about modernizing the physical banking branch and bringing efficiency there through connecting cores to hardware, cash recyclers, and the like. Nextsoft, which was all about connecting cores and fintechs together to enable kind of access to the market for fintechs and choice for financial institutions. And then lastly, IMM, eSign, which is a platform facilitating document workflow and automation, signatures, archiving, and just sort of all things digital enablement around everything everyone does to execute transactions with financial institutions. So that's a mouthful, but that's what we do. In terms of my favorite founding fathers, I'm a fan of many of them. I think it might be a little bit cliche, but I've always idolized Washington. I've read 
a handful of biographies, and I think he's one of those few figures that's such a giant in lore, but actually stands up to that, both through the war, when he stuck to his guns, when things looked completely bleak and without hope. I mean, he just never gave up. You know, I think he's an example of excellence in management. You know, not only was he the figurehead on the battlefield, but he assembled a team. He knew he couldn't do it himself, and he brought in guys like Hamilton to write letters to Congress to advocate on behalf of the war effort and other things. Most impressive and, you know, such an example from a figurehead point of view is he became obviously president after leading the war effort. And when the time came, he stepped aside and set up the precedent for our republic. And he had his own hair. He did not wear a wig. I didn't know about the hair. The teeth I knew about, but not the hair. (laughs) Lee Long, put your John Hancock on this answer, if you will. Aren't you funny? So my name is Lee Long. I'm the chief experience officer with HC3. We're a data-driven tech company that delivers customer communications for our clients. We work with more than 10% of the FIs in the U.S. And we manage complex data generated from multiple systems and help our financial companies communicate with their customers in meaningful ways through statement and notice redesign, intelligent marketing, and seamless delivery of both print and digital communications. So it offers financial service organizations the ability to give their customers a fully customizable document experience. And my favorite founding father, funnily enough, is John Hancock. Wow. Because he definitely knew how to make a statement when he signed the Declaration of Independence and make a statement just happens to be our tagline. It is a fabulous signature. Of course, it sticks in everyone's mind, but it also, I feel, is an emphatic exclamation point on this statement that people were trying to make in Philadelphia about the independence of the country. So excellent choice. I am right there with you. Thank you, Lou. David Benskin, good to have you on again, buddy. After a few weeks, let it rip. Lou, good to connect with you again. And this is David Benskin. I'm the founder and CEO of Wealth Access. A little bit of background about the company Wealth Access Our mission is to enable financial services firms to easily access the information that they need to help advise their clients. And what we do is we unify all of their books and records, all the data. We enrich that across multiple business lines, including their wealth management practice, their business and retail banking, and enable them to power hyper-personalized experiences really drives efficiencies and the insights that we provide, enable them to provide advice to their clients. We work with about 45 banks today, as well as about 130 wealth management firms, ranging from broker dealers, trust companies, independent advisory, family offices as well. So being that we're a technology company, my favorite founding father is also Thomas Jefferson. Obviously, being the principal author of the Declaration of Independence is a big deal, but also having a strong passion for science and technology. Fun fact about Thomas Jefferson, as I was doing my research, is he designed mechanical devices like the plow and implemented advancements across his plantation. So fun fact. Yeah, he was very inventive in so many ways. And it's amazing when you look at the founding fathers between him, Ben Franklin. It's really a record book, not just of invention politically, but invention technologically, agriculturally. It's very, very impressive. And stepping up to give us his independent, I'm going to beat that to death, 
independent point of view, Paul Davis. Well, thanks for having me on, Lou. Paul Davis, Director of Market Intelligence for Strategic Resource Management. We're an advisory firm in Memphis, Tennessee, that helps banks and credit unions look at everything from their third-party contracts, with vendors, including core providers, fintech, et cetera, to strategic planning and other related services. This is going to be very lopsided, but as an alumnus of the University of Virginia, I have to say Thomas Jefferson simply because they'll revoke my diploma if I say anything to the contrary. Ha! But the interesting thing about Jefferson, ironically, is you know he had a historic distaste for the banking industry because he often found himself indebted to the banks. And to go back to Barry's point, yeah, one way he helped to spend so much on entertaining was having to sell his book collection to the U.S. government, about 6,500 volumes for about $23,000 at the time, which served as the genesis for the Library of Congress. And as for me, who would I pick? Wow, that's a great question, Lou. <laughs> Why don't you answer it already? You know, I'm going to go with Alexander Hamilton. He really had an influence on the banking industry that lasts until this day. Bank of New York, the thing that he started so long ago is still here with us and certainly a leading light in our industry. Speaking of which, this has been really an incredible year for finance. We just got the report in days ago that the Fed is going to hold down on interest rates Right before that, inflation seems to be cooling off at 4%. The stock market is picking up, and yet not that many months ago, it was really, really a nail-biter. In the midst of all this, what has been the constant? I really believe it has been the fintech sector because all of you on the call, I would give a big thumbs up to being heroes during the pandemic fintech and the banking industry from a technological standpoint stepped forward when people couldn't leave their homes and made a lot of things possible that progress continues to this day i would love to know from your various points of view where the fintech sector has asserted its independence the most and in a positive sense in 2023 and the floor is open I'll jump in, Lou. This is Stephen Baker from Connective. First comment, I think Hamilton was actually the first secretary of the treasury. I agree with you. He's probably my second favorite founding father. He was really the chief architect of the American financial system. It's been so incredibly productive and a huge factor in our prosperity over time. So a lot of love for him. But, you know, to your question about fintech independence, you know, I think this is something that is close to our heart at Connective. And we spent a lot of time and energy thinking about connecting the dots, making it easy for a fintech to access as much of the market as possible by way of opening integrations to essentially every core in the market. And we saw an increase in demand from those fintechs to reach more of the market and enable kind of a greater breadth of reach for their solution. At the same time, we saw you know, fintechs looking to innovate on a broader basis and then thereby having more choice to connect to the fintechs of their choice. And so I think my definition of independence in this market is being able to make the choice you want to make without having to kind of build some huge technical bridge on your own and have a huge staff to do it. 
Hi, this is Paul Davis, and I would jump in and just talk a little bit about open banking and embedded finance as an area. It's just because, you know, you obviously have some of the large tech companies that are certainly asserting themselves as viable competitors. And then quite a few startups and other ventures as well that are going to get traction. And then you look at it from the backdrop of, you know, the CFPB is really intent on changing the game in this space. The director mentioned recently that they're going to be seeking comments and looking to finalize a rule that's really going to progress towards that model a little bit more, which is going to force, you know, a lot of traditional companies to rethink the competitive landscape as well, given the increased pressure on data sharing. So that's my two cents. Hey, Lou, this is Lisa Goldshire with ASA, and I'll piggyback on that as far as open banking and leading to the customer control of their data. What we're really hoping to see is that as we have that customer control of data, that it's done in a safe and secure way without sharing customer PII or personally identifiable information. So what we're starting to see as far as independence is really fintechs beginning to look at the ecosystem differently. We hear quite a lot about embedded finance, which was just mentioned. And embedded finance is really the integrating of financial products into non-financial offerings and processes and has its place within the market. However, it can disintermediate financial institutions. What we're really seeing is fintechs along with banks and credit unions raising the idea of embedded fintech. And this is the integration of fintech products and services into the financial institutions ecosystems. What I really like about this and what we're seeing in this space is that this really keeps the financial institution at the center of their account holders financial journey and it helps both credit unions banks and fintechs go to market faster as it frees them from the restraints regarding one-to-one -one integrations so i really think and i'm happy to see that the best path forward regarding embedded fintech is through really what we call a collaborative banking approach which really connects financial institutions with customer-facing fintechs. And as I mentioned before, kind of in a secure, compliant marketplace. And it allows the fintechs an easier path to get to account holders. And it allows banks and credit unions to maintain control over that account holder relationship, all while allowing the consumers to have more control over their data and their privacy. And they do this by not sharing, again, their personally identifiable information. That's a great answer, Lisa. This is Liz Flowers from Lenders Cooperative, and I'm going to piggyback off of that a little bit because as much as fintechs have asserted their independence over the last several years in particular, to me, it really continues to be how FIs and fintechs can partner together to create the most efficiencies, most production and cost, and really, most importantly, create the best client experience. And I think what fintechs bring to the table is really an out-of-the-box thinking to solve these age-old problems, really centuries-old problems, in a new and inventive way. For example, you know, how do we simplify an application process is an age-old question. And I think to date so far, early fintechs have been very effective in digitizing paper processes. But in the most recent years, especially at Lenders Cooperative, we have taken a step back and totally rethought what is an application? What does the customer know when they are applying? And how can we lead them to the right answers? And what's resulted is the product agnostic application that, you know, creates tons of backroom efficiency and a much more simple and effective customer experience. Another issue is how do you balance credit quality with after credit decision turn times? 
And by using AI and predictive modeling, such as in the Lumis Prime platform and our LOS, we can actually better predict our expected losses and as a result, create faster credit decisions so we can get money in the hands of small businesses and consumers when they actually need it. So again, just the fresh perspective to old problems and the partnership between fintechs and FIs are really going to lead to the best innovative solutions. Hey, Lou, this is David Benskin with Wealth Access, and I think it's a great question and really good comments. I completely agree with open banking and the API integration is a growing trend this year. And I'll throw something out there that may be a little bit more controversial is just the rise of AI and financial technology. And I think if you look at the massive amounts of data that is now accessible and using AI-powered software to really analyze just vast amounts of data can really enable firms to create personalized experiences and strategies based off of very useful information. And I think from our perspective at Wealth Access, it doesn't necessarily replace the bankers or the advisors. It actually empowers them to really take over some of the tasks that allow for a lot greater efficiency and speed and accuracy in managing finances. Hey, Lou, this is Lee with HC3. I'll jump in here and just tag on to what everyone else is saying about the fintechs and the API integrations. What we've seen on the output of that is that most of our FIs are really interested in integrating and connecting with all of these fintechs because they house customer information about how and when their customers spend their money. So in order to maintain and control the customer relationship that they have, they want to ingest that data into their core banking data and return back to the customers where and when they're spending their money so that they can have better control over their financial lives. So we're seeing exactly what you guys are saying on the output side. Yeah, this is Barry Kirby with Union Credit. From our perspective, we're a little bit of a different animal in the fintech space, especially from, I guess, exerting our independence in a very kind of easy to visualize description. We are a megaphone to local institutions to give them national broadcast and audience reach, which predominantly has never been done before. So when you talk about independence, we're out there trying to enable credit unions and local banks to give them a platform to stay on the same distribution level as a Chase Bank. I'm excited to see consumers have more options out there than the typical five lenders that if they go and Google an auto loan or a credit card are being presented on every page within Google. I love it. Some fabulous answers here. We're talking about smart data usage, open banking, partnering, platforming, APIs, and the rise of AI. I don't know, maybe taking the P out has something to do with that. But it really is going to be an interesting year with AI picking up. So love the insight so far. From there, let's bridge into another question. And that has to do with the very theme of partnering and also just cooperation in general. I'm wondering what your hope is for, quote, a more perfect union, quote, of the various spheres in banking and tech in the months to come. Lou, this is David Benskin with Wealth Access. And it's a great question because as fintechs 
five, 10 years ago as banks versus fintechs. And now, obviously, there's a need to partner to get to speed to market. But in my opinion, in preparation for the generational wealth transfer, I really think that we can expect more banks to partner with fintechs in the coming months. And I think this collaboration really aims to meet the evolving needs of the younger, more tech-savvy customers by leveraging the financial technology's digital experience. So you basically have banks that can enhance their services and really provide personalized experiences. And the partnership benefits both parties, right? You know, banks can modernize their offerings and fintechs can gain access to an established customer base. So I think together that fintechs and banks can create innovative solutions for the next generation's wealth management. I'll jump in on the back of that. This is Stephen Baker from Connective. And, you know, David, I think you hit the nail on the head in the sense of, you know, what I would almost characterize as this transformation evolution of more fintechs being available to more customers and, you know, the emerging cohorts demographically expecting those things that are all digital and, and connected. I would add one more you know, leg to the stool in terms of what needs to be brought together to form the union, and that would be the banking core. The way I think about the world is there's kind of three legs of the stool in a sense, which is the banking core that is an absolute reality for any institution. And that core has a lot of priorities that it's working on, right? Compliance, tons of work maintaining you know, just that core engine and moving the basic functionality forward. Most of the owners of banking cores have more than one. And so they're trying to build a roadmap that converges or create some efficiency. And when we open up the world of connectivity through APIs, we help them maintain and sustain value and in a sense, modernize or allow their customers to modernize without them having to expend a whole lot of investment on their own behalf to realize that outcome. I think, as you pointed out, I mean, to the fintechs, There's so many solutions out there and they're growing every day, but fintechs, they all come out with their own kind of unique selling proposition, their own differentiation. But the reality is they hit the market and they need to, in many cases, without a better option, build some kind of connectivity to every core in the market of which there's 40 or more. And so giving them access to that entire market set without having to build what really is a commodity connection point, it doesn't really help them advance their unique selling proposition, but it does help them answer the question of, are you connected to my core? Because that tends to be, I think, the first question out of a financial institution's mouth after, oh yeah, I'm interested in what you're talking about. And that kind of brings us to the third and really primary leg of the stool, which is the financial institution. And, you know, we connected today touches one out of four. So we've got 2,500 clients, financial institutions, about evenly split between credit unions and banks. And I think there's a lot of commonality in what this group is looking to do, and it is looking to meet the demand and the expectation of the emerging cohort around millennials and Gen Z. It's also looking, as earlier pointed out, to match the voice and potentially capability of the largest financial institutions, the big six, if you will, the chases and the cities and the wells of the world. But to do that in a way so they can offer those solutions without having to kind of match the types of budgets for technology and you know information technology that those institutions can deploy. So you know at the end of the day, I think the more perfect union is the core gets modernization, the fintech gets access to the marketplace by way of integrations to the cores, and the financial institution gets access and choice and ultimately 
control over their destiny in terms of what solutions they want to set up and what lines of business they want to offer their customers. That does come down to API-driven connectivity. This is Paul Davis. I'll weigh in too on another thing that I think factors into building these more perfect unions, and that is the regulatory environment, especially on the banking side. I mean, for a long time, the federal bank regulators either were seemingly reluctant to put out real guidance and seem to go with more suggested best practices. So, you know, we sort of lacked some rules of the road, so to speak, on the banking side. But the last couple of weeks, we've seen the FDIC, Fed, and OCC come out with final joint guidance, nearly 70 pages worth, to spell out what their expectations are for any third-party relationship. Obviously, that includes fintech partnerships, it includes banking as a service, et cetera. And the one thing I would highlight was that 10 pages of that 68-page document was really devoted to due diligence and the things that banks need to understand and monitor when it comes to having these types of partnerships and unions with outside providers, including fintech. That should, over time, remove a little bit of anxiety, remove some questioning on the part of uh, traditional banks, and maybe expand the use of relationships with the fintech space as well. And this is area with union credit. I would say the one item that I would hit on as far as the comment about or the question about the more perfect union, I think one of the points, the kind of wayward areas of all fintech that fell through the cracks was at some point over the past couple of years, a lot of fintechs forgot or stopped focusing on what was best for the consumer. And to Paul's point, that will automatically induce and bring in regulation and challenges and so forth. I think if financial institutions just step back and think to themselves, okay, what is best for our consumers? How do we get these best products in those consumers' hands? I think if everybody just uses that compass, no matter what vertical they serve, ultimately they're going to have a winning relationship with the FI as well as in the consumer's perspective. Yeah, Barry, this is Liz Flowers from Lenders Cooperative again. I love that. And I was going to say that my hope for a more perfect union is really a balance between high-tech and high-touch. I think the perfect balance between that is going to continue to drive innovation in a way where the customer experience, the client experience is at the forefront. To me, it's all about how banks can scale using technology, but also without losing the relationship-based personal approach to banking that's been so important to small businesses and consumers for so long. Liz, this is Lee with HC3. I agree with you 100% because, again, we're working with bank cores, fintechs, and financial institutions to create the output that we're sending to consumers. And while I think AI is a fabulous technology, we should cautiously watch it evolve over the years. But I do know that you know tools such as AI chatbots, virtual tellers, powered content, it enables the banks to be more efficient and create maybe more meaningful communications and perhaps deepen their customer relationships. But at the end of the day, it's about retaining that customer. I like the high touch method. Lou, this is Lisa Goldshire again with ASA. And really building off of what's already been discussed, I really like the high touch and the personalized approach that Liz and Lee just mentioned. And then also earlier, the innovative solutions and more fintechs being able to help financial institutions reach more customers. I really hope to see fintechs and financial institutions really recognize how embedded fintech can help banks and technology finally work together in a meaningful way. 
We all know that one of the largest barriers currently preventing financial institutions from effectively partnering with fintechs is around liability and risk. Those one-to-one vendor integrations or processors were mentioned earlier are time-consuming and expensive. And it really keeps banks and credit unions from being able to bring technology that meets each of their account holders' unique needs. So at ASA, we have a marketplace where we do connect fintechs and financial institutions, and we eliminate that direct connection, allowing for the innovative solutions to come to market. Our focus is on giving customers access and choice. So in the coming months, I really expect to see more fintechs and financial institutions really embracing embedded fintech through what we call or refer to as a collaborative banking approach. We're hyper-focused on bringing account holders fintech solutions that meet their individualized needs all through their trusted bank or credit union. This allows the account holders to stay with their bank or their credit union, control their data, and securely and anonymously access leading-edge technology. So this perfect union really extends the bank's brand and digital presence into everything their account holders do in e-commerce and really helps institutions innovate and provide valuable services. Once again, I'm loving it. (laughs) It's just really wonderful stuff. Modernized offerings on wealth management, connectivity, core modernization, consumers, high-tech, high-touch, regulatory guidance, embedded fintech, and once again, AI. And if I may offer my own thought on AI, I think it's extraordinary. Probably something the banking industry needs to look out for is that at this early stage, AI can hallucinate. That's the actual term that's used. So when I did a search on myself in the early stages of ChatGPT, I was told that I had written a book called The World According to Bugs Bunny and another book called The Man Who Got Away. (laughs) It just, I don't know, they're good titles for books. I can't actually claim that I've written either one of them. So I think the cautionary tale that I experienced, but also that I've read about widely, is that as we use AI, we have to be really careful and show the same sort of attention to detail with what it gives us that we do to other aspects of our banking lives and our work that we do in fintech. So that is my two cents. I am planting the flag of freedom right here. And speaking of which, you gave up your free time to be here on the podcast today. I am extremely grateful Thank you so much for being on Bankadelic for this first ever Independence Day special. Thanks, Lou. Thank you, Lou. Thanks, Lou. Appreciate it. Have a great one. I'm a Yankee Doodle Dandy. And that's a wrap. As in, wrap me in the red, white, and blue flag. A fabulous time today, and I'm feeling like the first ever Bankadelic Independence Day special podcast was a sight to behold fireworks and all again thanks to our special guests barry kirby the cro of union credit lisa goldshire co-founder and chief strategy officer at asa paul davis director of market intelligence at srm david benskin the ceo of wealth access 
Lee Long, Chief Experience Officer at HT3, Stephen Baker, CEO of Connective, and Liz Flowers, Head of Client Success at Lenders Cooperative. Special thanks, as always, to our wonderful Bankadelic team, our business consigliere, Rob Gaynor. Dude, I totally got into the show. The Zarina at William Mills of all of our special episode podcasts, the one and only Catherine Laws. We love you, Catherine! And of course, our sponsors, the William Mills Agency, Banker Hire, Lemonade LXP, and Talking Biz News. They make it happen, so I don't have to. From the Bankadelic Bunker in Chicago, watching the skies light up. I'm your host, Lou Carlozo, and until next Independence Day, let your freak flag fly. I'm a Yankee Doodle Dandy. Yankee Doodle do or die. A real live nephew of my Uncle Sam. Bankadelic is a production of NMD Plus, London and Chicago. Jim, we put the ATM card in the